Welcome to Novel Romantics, a podcast about contemporary American fiction. I'm the host of Novel Romantics, Douglas Cowie. I'm a writer and teacher. And today we'll be discussing The Lost Children Archive by Valeria Luisella. My guest today is Ryan Gaddis. Ryan Gaddis is the author of Safe, Kung Fu High School, The System, and All Involved, which won the American Library Association's Alex Award and the Lyra Award for Noir of the Year in France. He lives and writes in South Los Angeles, where he's a member of the art collective Uglar Works, a founding board member of arts nonprofit Heritage Future, and a Pen America Prison Writing and Writing for Justice mentor. And you can find him online at ryangaddis.com. That's R-Y-A-N-G-A-T-T-I-S. Dot com. Ryan, welcome to Novel Romantics. Wow. Thank you, Doug, for that rousing introduction. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're welcome. I got excited the further into it I got. It's, um, <laughs> I that last tell. sentence is quite long. <laughs> I didn't even know if you were breathing, um, really. I know. I was, well, I was starting to pass out, but I made it. Um, today, <laughs> we're going to discuss the Lost Children Archive by Valeria Luisella. She's a uh, a Mexican writer um, who, had, prior to this novel, had written um, quite a few things in Spanish, but this is her first novel in English, which I think, honestly, is kind of neither here nor there, um, it's, but it's mentioned in, in the blurb or her biography or something, but maybe adds an extra dimension to it. I don't know. Um, Ryan, what, where, where should we start? I will simply say I love a road novel. I love a road novel about America. And I was very happy to, to get that with this book, with Lost Children Archive. Yeah. I, on that note, the basic plot is there's a family traveling from New York City uh, south to the Mexican-American border. The parents are both um, sound sound archivists i guess would be the way to put it there's there's a lot of yeah. talk in the novel about what exactly that means but anyway they're on their way they're 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 doing journalistic and research pro projects and they've got their two children with them and i mean really there isn't much more plot to this novel than that sure and it is it's a very self-conscious road novel in a lot of ways isn't it there's like a whole discourse on on jack kerouac's on the road at one point and one of the things we might talk about later is all the intertextuality in this novel there's lots of other literature in particular packed into this ezra pound's poetry t.s Eliot's poetry galway Cannell's poetry yeah. um and carson's poetry there's uh, tons of poetry in here a lot of music packed into it as well but um it's it's funny that it's like, well, I don't know if funny is quite the right word, but I've been thinking about this quite a lot. I was thinking about it when I first read the novel. And then as I've been thinking about it more and more, that the first thing you mention is a it's a road novel. Because, I mean, it definitely is a road novel. There's no way around that. It's also a very slow... The novel itself, the plot and the, the story, the narrative isn't slow moving. But the, the actual journey that this family takes is so slow. It's like the opposite of On the Road in some ways. Like, On the Road... Sal and Dean are like traveling across the country as fast as they can every time they go, right? And this family, like they, they're in a hurry, and there's a lot of urgency to them getting there. But man, do they take like every decision they can to not get there? <laughs> like they basically sure. make a trip and, that could and, take them a couple of days, and it takes them two weeks. 
Yeah, but I think doesn't that give us a sense of character as well? It gives us a sense of where they are in their relationship. I mean, you mentioned that they're sound archivists, and I think one of the things that the author makes clear right up front is that they have very different ways philosophically uh, of dealing with with this recording of sound. Now, they had met uh, on a project, they'd worked together, but they'd since diverged in what they wanted to do and the way they wanted to do it. Uh, she becomes obsessed with the story of of lost children at the border, which is extremely topical and interesting and important and a story that, to be perfectly honest, doesn't get talked enough about uh, in, in the United States, even to this day. So, you know, this is exactly what literature is for. You know, literature is meant to, you know, attack these broader questions, talk about them, look at threads of narrative and, and, and see what it means. On the flip side of that, you have the husband who becomes obsessed with, and, and, you know, Doug, please correct me if I'm wrong, but he becomes obsessed with Native Americans in particular. Is it, is it Geronimo? Yeah, in, in particular, Geronimo and the Apache, the story of the Apaches, the kind of last, Correct. the last indigenous people standing in a way in the face of, in a sort of defiant face of colonialism. And sure. and what's one of the things that's interesting that comes up in the telling, a, a lot, one of the things that this novel is about is, is about telling stories and about retelling stories and one of the things Absolutely. that comes up in one of the father's retellings of the geronimo story is that geronimo not only hates the americans he also hates mm. the mexicans you know he's it's which makes the it's an, it's an interesting moment that isn't dwelled on in the novel there's things that the novel does dwell on and things that it doesn't neither is it mentioned in passing um, I'm not sure this is a novel that actually mentions anything in passing, even the stuff that it doesn't really belabor or dwell on. But um, it do but it only kind of mentions it once that Geronimo has just as much hatred for the Mexicans who have done his people wrong as he does for the Americans who have done his people wrong. And there's it, mm -hmm. that raises for me anyway some interesting questions about or makes more complicated exactly what you were just saying that like literature exists to make some of these things to explore these things that are too complicated to explore just factually or, or just politically or just, you know, whatever, just in the news or just through a, a sure. simplistic portrayal. That's a thing that makes it um, a kind of question of borders more complicated, which is a topic I maybe won't go into for too much at the moment. But um, sure. Well, yeah, let anyway, me jump sorry. In, I, I, that I was think... a long, a long footnote to your yes, it's Geronimo. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate all of that. No, I... I think ultimately, you know, just to boil it down, I think literature is ultimately about trying to tell stories that don't necessarily get told, that aren't necessarily, especially in perhaps broader context, thought of as as important or meaningful or 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 strong or foundational. And mm -hmm. you know, there's a moment when when the father, you know, really kind of sums up his whole philosophy on this and i want to say i don't know what copy you're reading from doug but i'm i'm reading from i think the uk version and uh it's page 215 for me it's the very beginning of maps and boxes mm -hmm. and this the, the the father says this whole country is an enormous cemetery but only some people get proper graves because most lives don't matter most lives get erased lost in the whirlpool of trash we call history he said 
Yeah. And yet I think literature exists. And, you know, if I may say so, to kind of dispute that, to tell stories that run contrary to that idea of, of what is trash and what is treasure and who's allowed to speak and who is not, you know, that's mm -hmm. the author just has to, t has to take it and, 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 and run. Yeah. So in a way, in a way, the book is like a, however many 300 and something page like refutation of the idea expressed by one of the characters in the book mm. that there's two things two other quotations that i have lined up to that i think build quite nicely on that idea i think you're right i, I completely i completely agree with you ryan isn't it nice when we agree on things um <laughs> she, yes, disappointing yes, for the is, listeners who have turned in, tuned to, in this to month. argue with <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's disappointing for the listeners who have tuned in this month hoping for a fight but uh you know um we don't usually get that many fights in this podcast anyway anyway <laughs> so the point about them being so sound recordists or or archivists or documentarians comes up again and again and in a way the author is using these professions of these two adult protagonists because there's the two adult protagonists and the two children protagonists um yes. she's using that profession as a kind of metaphor uh, or or veil a way of or analogy i suppose is maybe the best word for for writing for literature for artistic endeavor in general which i'll come back to in a minute but but you mentioned already that, that they have diff divergent ideas about what it is they're doing and how they're going about it. She's interested in going to the border to record stories about missing children at the border, children trying to cross from uh, Mexico into the United States on um, over the northern border of Mexico, the southern border of the United States. Um, he's interested in mm. Geronimo and the Apaches, as you said. And then this is this gets repeated a few different times in the novel, but this is their, um, their son narrating at this point in the novel. I'm on page 192, Ryan, about what his parents do. And this is... This is um, the kind of fullest explanation you really get of, of, of what it is, how they see themselves um, coming from their son. Officially, Pa was a, document, a documentarist and Ma was a documentarian. And very few people know the difference. The difference is, just so you know, that a documentarian is like a librarian and a documentarist is like a chemist. But both of them basically did the same thing. They had to find sounds, record them, store them on tape, and then put them together in a way that they told a story. I'm so glad you grabbed that quote because I think you've distilled it. I, you, you've distilled uh, that in a in a really perfect way. Well, obviously the author has, but it's it's important to kind of know the difference because you can tell which way people are, you know, that, that the two characters are coming at it differently. But I think at the same time, you know, the son sees it as... Look, they both call themselves something different, but they're both basically doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And yet they're managing yeah. to get further apart, even as they journey farther into the country together. Yeah, yeah. And as they're doing the same things, I guess the some of the point of that is she's really interested in going and getting people to tell their own stories. She's recording things in situations where people are presenting a certain so mm. the, you mentioned this thing about beginning and middle and end being being a thing that's imposed after the fact um when we were talking about this earlier yeah. and and 
she's really kind of interested in getting people in the moment where they're imposing the beginning, middles and ends on things, where they're telling their own stories. She's recording people in courtrooms and this kind of stuff, re recording things coming out of the radio, whereas he is kind of almost always recording ambient sounds and trying to figure out how mm. to combine them, how to impose his own uh, shape on those things. Yeah, absolutely. His and, own and reading, a, a his own around them. version of the story. And that's a, that's, yeah. a, that's a really good example because... You know, at one point, he takes them out into the woods of Apache country and just records uh, insects and the wind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he and, and later, you know, in the editing room, he'll figure out how to weave the, the, the story there, a story about emptiness, a story about a people who, who are no longer, you know, present in the in the way that they were. And and she, on the other hand, is very concerned with the present moment with this this contemporary issue uh this you know news to to an extent like it's it's absolutely mm -hmm. news and yet uh, you know what gets covered at least i can tell you this in the united states you know are these broader issues of of immigration law and 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 political wrangling as opposed to who's actually hurt by this who actually suffers consequences as a result of these things. And it, it's the lost children. It's the people who try to cross. It's the people seeking refuge. You, you mentioned the beginnings, middle and ends. Uh, you know, for me, that was on page 62. Beginnings, middle and ends are only a matter of hindsight, which is just a beautiful line and, and so true. I think she feels that particularly keenly because this is in her section as she's talking, the mother, mm -hmm. because... She doesn't know what the beginnings, middles and ends yet are of this particular story. She doesn't know where the lost children are. You know, she doesn't know how to locate them, if they will be located, you know, etc. And I think that there's something kind of heartbreaking in that in that searching that she does and that is documented in the book as well. It's worth pointing out there's there's a lot of different lost children in yes. this in this novel. The further you get into the to the book itself, um, and I think it's it's an incredibly immersive book, almost from the get go. For especially because there's very little plot in the sense of beginning, middle, and end. Is um, it's a very mm -hmm. simple plot. I don't mean that disparagingly at all. It's one of the things that I really love about this novel is that it takes a very straightforward, as you said at the outset, like a, you know, it's a road trip, and just in imbues it with tons and tons of texture of all different types of textures and one of those textures is the lost children themselves and without getting too cute about it you can you can cast the parents as lost children um if you want to mm. um but then there's like there's the literal like she's chasing a news story about the children who are coming up from El Salvador and Guatemala and Mexico and coming through Mexico and coming on the tops of these trains to the border and then and then being being smuggled yeah. across by um, coyote smugglers and whatever and who reach a number of different fates in the uh, on that route itself as well as in the American desert and the American side of the border whether they're their goal, it says quite early on in the novel, and this is true in real life as well, as you know, the goal is to is to get across the border and then find 
an immigration officer and get arrested basically because the Mexican children have a right to a hearing. And if they can, you know, they're safer if they get found by the authorities rather than evading the authorities as you might, as one might imagine. Sure. Because they have a chance to stay if they can successfully negotiate that hearing, which we won't get into the details of. But then there's also the kids who don't find you know, they get lost in the desert and they die, basically. And so they're lost almost permanently. Sometimes those bodies are recovered. And then there's a question of whether that's a kind of recapturing or unlosing of the children. But then there's the actual children of, you know, the the characters in this story. And there's two different sets of lost children beyond the kind of, I guess what I would call the nameless, I'm going to go on like a rant about names not a rant a little like speech lecture on <laughs> naming <laughs> which i think which i love the the act of naming in this novel because i think it's really fascinating um, it's very simple and very fascinating all at once all these nameless children coming up um, who are referred to in a variety of different ways depending on whether it's the narrator of our novel talking or whether it's the news that she's listening to talking and how these children get cast as refugees or as alien children is one of the terms that comes up a lot and so on and so forth. Um, But then there's a a woman who she meets in New York City who asks her for help because her children have been detained near the border and she needs to get some documents translated. And this woman's name is Manuela and her children are not named and those those children are there's two very specific lost children that they kind of always have on their minds as they're driving so there's this like macro mm. thing of the of the of the nameless children there's these two very specific children the two daughters of Manuela and then there's her own children one of whom is her biological child one of whom is an adopted child um who are also never named in the story and in fact the narrator the uh, the the main couple, um, so the protagonist, one of whom is a narrator, um, are ni- are never named either. So there's this one this one woman who is named in this entire novel, and she's not even a really a character in the novel. She she's heard from a couple of times, but she's very specifically named. Um, I think that's really interesting about as a kind of aesthetic choice about how um, Valeria Luisella is trying to pitch and cast this story and kind of create some texture about the kinds of narratives we're telling about people uh, in these kinds of situations end of lecture ryan i know i was i was feeling that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) do you well let, let me ask you this because that's obviously a very specific authorial decision do you think it makes the characters more relatable or less relatable without this naming element do you want me to give you um, what would actually genuinely be a rant about the word relatable and how much I despise it? <laughs> I don't. I, it's so your podcast, man. You sh- I mean, do what I, you got to do. do. I'll, give you a short, I'll give you a short version <laughs> of it. Um, I don't really care whether I don't really care whether I don't think relatability is an important thing. I find it. I find well, anyway. I won't go into the term. I've, I have arguments with people about this all the time. Most of whom That's are smarter than enough. me. Well, so let I'm me let wrong, me ch- but... let me change. Does it make you uh, care more or care less? Does that a, is that a better reframing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I think that's I think that's a slightly more nuanced thing, and it's like because um, I I don't have to relate to a character in any way in order to 
find them interesting or worthwhile or to care about what's going on um in a story but i i don't i don't i'm not sure that's what's at stake either right like i don't know that it's about like oh how can i you know when you start thinking about like how to how to compose a character and a in a character as a kind of compositional center of a of a novel there's like the two the two kind of big important driving things in any story are the are the plot and the characters right and how though those things interact and Sure, but you've already said on a couple of occasions that this isn't the most plot-driven book. Therefore, shouldn't there be no, more emphasis no, no. on the character and characterization and progression? Well, there's a huge amount of characterization, and I don't think naming them matters that much. And I and I think, hmm. I mean, one of the things that's clear to me about this novel, and there's lots again we could talk about about how she achieves these things, is that she's very interested in the in the symbolic value of certain ideas and certain things in the novel the polaroid pictures for example become a a driving oh, yeah. symbolic activity the, the taking of the photographs the photographs themselves um the, yeah. the boy in the novel is is taking he's been given this polaroid camera as a gift and he's taking photos yeah go for it well okay, i just want to jump in very quickly i was even raising my hand uh <laughs> i know that's why i, I said go ahead. i felt like i was of... teaching <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, it is one of the most fascinating elements of this book for me is how it's structured. And, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. totally agree. The Polaroids are a huge driving force of the book. It's, it's how the boy learns to see the world. But mm -hmm. instead of them being merely described, we are actually given the Polaroids and they are present in yeah. roughly, I mean, it's not an appendix but it is an appendix because it, it because it appears at the very end of the book. And it, and it honestly, it, it changed how I read the book for yeah. the better because I it's would really be good, yeah. referencing it and looking at it and jumping back and forth. And, you know, so instead of progressing chronologically page by page, when I hit something that seemed like it was important for the boy or a key image, like I would go, look, wait, like what did he take a picture of this? And then. And to, to a certain extent, and I won't go down this road, I don't, you know, we can talk about it off, off mic at some point, but I, I, you know, I, there was, there was even a meta element to it. I thought, well, you know, where are these pictures coming from? Did she take them? Like they, they felt, I mean, so, so grounded in the narrative, they had clearly yeah. helped create the narrative and yet they seem so dead on that it, I, I, it, it gave me an interesting it gave a really interesting feel to the book. And I was left in this, this interesting space of questioning, you know, what was real and what wasn't, which, you know, to be honest, I don't, I wouldn't love in every book, but with this one, it really, really worked. There's, there's like a couple of different things I want to say about that. One is it's interesting to me that you kept flipping back and forth because I didn't do that. Um, I saved them for uh, the end. Okay. Even though I kind of knew they were there. I didn't, I didn't look at them. I, I obviously, you know, anybody who picks up a book sort of flips through it in a haphazard way. And I knew there were photos at the back, but I decided I would just leave them there, you know, knowing in they were there copy, and not it's really a think. Different, it's a different paper stock. So actually just picking the book oh, up, it? I can tell that there's something else there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, mine's, so I think mine's that's what made me stock. just look at it. Yeah. But so, but I don't think it matters. I think either way of reading is kind of interesting and fine. Like this, you know, mm. but it's, but it does it does create a different impact if you're so i'm just thinking about like the difference uh, between she's put them all at the end 
She hasn't like yeah. sealed them off and said, "Do not look at these until you finish my all of my words." I mean, it's you're allowed to flip around in a book, right? Um, you, yeah, you can navigate but it. However I didn't you want. do that, but it's but it's not like she's embedded them. Like, oh, he takes the photograph and then you get it in that spot, like in the way that Zabalt does, yeah. like where he talks about something and then the photograph is there. Like in the Rings of Saturn, he's talking about the piles and piles of herring, and you turn the page and there's this like massive pile yeah. of herrings on the on the page and, and you're confronted by the image and the image the being sure. surprised by the image in the text is part of it here she's not doing that she's doing something else she's doing a variation on that same technique which is partly why it works i'm um, coming back to to what you said i'll come to you in a second <laughs> coming back to what you said about it, it's not something you it's not something you always like in the in the text like i think part of what makes it work here is that she's she's taken a thing and and pulled it off and used it in her own way to her own purposes and there's a clear purpose but just to finish off my thought what what i found really move like i found this whole novel really moving like i was just really engrossed and, yeah. and moved by it in a number of ways it's it's i mean it's on a topic that i'm interested in anyway and, and care about quite a lot anyway but i finished this incredibly moving passage that leads up, or passages really that lead up to the end of the novel and then and i knew these photos were waiting for me and i thought i wonder what these like what these photos are going to do for me in in kind of refiguring what i've read and they I, they just added this layer of i wouldn't want to overstate this but like like a kind of sense of wonder that like mm. I knew I was being played because it's not re it's fiction, <laughs> but there's this thing that gives it in it, and I thought, and and it opened up some kind of possibility, almost going back to exactly what you said. Like this is the point of literature. This is what literature is for. It's like it kind of is that it, how I it said it. Put another, <laughs> yeah, you said it in exactly that tone. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's weird to hear, it's weird to hear yourself, Ryan, uh, <laughs> but like it put another peg into that into that force of literature. I was saying like, look. Here's another here's another layer of stuff, uh, another way. It, it tells the whole story of the novel over again in like a dozen pages through these through these um, photos, and and you see the whole story mm. being recast. It's a little bit like the end of the Greek tragedy when they do the the carnivalesque version of it, right? But except this isn't carnivalesque. Um, but it's like here's the whole story you've just seen and spent a few days reading being recast over a short period, and you can think about it again in a different way. And it asks, it demands of you to think about it in a different way, which I really loved. That was a long uh, wait from when you said you actually wanted to interrupt oh and say gosh, something. Oh my gosh, it was but... so long. I was dying. Uh, so let me just say this <laughs> because I think you've actually led me to a, to a really good place, which is that. In my opinion, having read this <laughs> lovely book, incredible book, I, I think she taught me, and I had a sense of this before, but I, but I had a much stronger sense of it once I was done reading the book, that archives are worth more if they're organized appropriately. And I think that that, yeah. that was a big reason why the Polaroids are at the, are at the back of the book. But I noticed, I'm, I'm just looking at my notes right now. I apparently cataloged a number of these Polaroids like, oh, this is page 273. This is page 293. So in a way, like she <laughs> she's taught oh, me nice. to yeah. kind of archive, catalog, call back. And, and I really enjoyed that. If I could just pivot because you mentioned, you know, various lovely, various lovely lines throughout. Um, Can I say I one thing quickly constantly... before you do pivot? <sighs> 
I'm very disappointed. Please, Please continue. <laughs> so no, it's just to say that that it's interesting that you said like, oh, you she's almost she's taught you to archive as you go. I, one of the things that I think a really good novelist does, and what really a really good novel does, is teach you how to read it as as it mm. goes and as you go with it. Like a novel can be weird. This novel isn't necessarily weird, but like a novel can be as weird as it wants as long as it teaches you how to read it as you go. Like what I say to my students is like you have to mm. hold your reader's hand to some degree. And in like sure. in, in using archiving as a structural device and in getting you to buy into that, she's almost she's done that. She's taught you how to read her novel in a way. And yeah, I, I, I can come back to that later. I'm sorry. I just wanted to add that one point. Um, pivot away. No, that's it. <laughs> Dang it. Now you've sent me off careening in another direction. Um, I totally agree. And, 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 and I noticed that kind of as I was going, just, just on this point quickly, before I pivot, I was going to pivot previously, but now I have to pivot after I respond to what you've already said. Uh, now I'm the one getting excited and not taking a breath while now I you're talk. Just spinning. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, there are so many nice breaks in between the sections where it is filled with clippings, with photographs, with posters, with lists that are historically relevant, texturally relevant, thematically relevant. But I also noticed for, for my own reading experience, it was a nice, it was a nice breath. You know, it was, it was a way to, you know, engage with the story in a way that wasn't prose, uh, which Mm -hmm. I think she did brilliantly. And in a way it's stacked, it's threaded in such a way so that Again, I can only imagine, you know, how the Polaroids would have hit me if I'd if I'd read to the end and then flipped through each one, one by one. But I think it would have had kind of an even potentially even even bigger uh, degree of resonance after kind of being guided through. You know, there are maps in here. There are posters, you know, historical photographs and before we get the son's photographs. So, yeah, I, I I'm. I'm I'm full of awe for for how she how she strung that together, how she structured it. I don't know that it would work for every reader, but I don't know that that matters. You know, it worked for me. Well, no, um, yeah. The other thing that those that all those because they're 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 pitched as archive boxes that each family member has with the things that they are themselves exactly. archiving. That's a very structural right right from the table of contents, really. Yeah, one of the things that those archives do and and you've described them really nicely is um not only is it like a break a non-prose break it's a break from very intense very rich very engaging prose like it's this is an intense very internal novel it really yeah yeah and it and it it's almost like it allows you to come up for air for one thing because out of this like very engaged very intense world it allows you to take a breath but also it it reconnects this internal narration intense internal narration it reconnects it to a world of physical things a world in which other people yeah. are living you know the, the the what i will call in scare quotes the real world well it adds context too yeah yeah which for is sure. really helpful and is very broadening as far as the story is concerned sorry go ahead well, she says a thing in her, there's a, like an author's note. Well, it's actually called works cited notes on sources mm. at the end of the novel. And it's, it's quite an interesting uh, like miniature essay where she just sort of unpacks a little bit some of the, the intertextuality that goes on. I, I mentioned um, earlier in our conversation, the uh, Pound and Elliot and all these other 
things mm-hmm. and she and she really expands on on what she was up to and, and kind of she just gives a bit of due diligence mostly but she does it in a really thoughtful and and smart way and, and she says something that i think is really important and i think helps underline not just the effect that we've been talking about but also her intention for that effect and i think she achieves it she says I'm not interested in intertextuality as an outward performative gesture, but as a method or procedure of composition. I think that's a really interesting sentence, a really smart idea. I think it's a claim for her own approach to writing that I think she's lived up to in the in the execution of this novel. I think the novel lives up to that, like intertextuality as a method or procedure of composition and it and it repays itself in all kinds of interesting ways she also says the illusions need not be evident i.e you might not pick up on everything you definitely won't um or one definitely won't but that doesn't matter because it's still part of the fabric of what she's up to and i i think fabric is the perfect word there because she threads so many fascinating things through here and i think the intertextuality just happens to be one of those threads but i think you know and the the, the bit i was going to actually read to you earlier i think is a, is a really good thread it really sets up look there aren't a ton of things that happen in the plot but there is a huge turning point that happens later in the book that she sets up Hundreds of pages beforehand, as all great authors do, they they prepare you, they till the ground, and they give you a sense of what the path's going to be, even if you're not seeing it right away. And and you know, I'm looking at 106 because for me, sentence by sentence, it's it's really one of the most beautiful bits of writing in the entire book. The mother is speaking about the daughter. We don't know, she's speaking of of the family as well, we don't know how to embrace her boundless enthusiasm or her volcanic bursts of vitality. It's hard for the rest of us, I think, to keep up with the dashing, reckless train of her happiness, which is achingly gorgeous. (laughs) But at the same time, it's, it's a really nice flip of the dashing, reckless train the beast which we'll learn about and and kind of comes through the book as well hard for me at least to let her be sorry i'm returning to the text when i keep on feeling that i have to save her from the world i'm constantly imagining that she'll fall or get burned or be run over or that she'll drown right now in this guitar-shaped swimming pool in memphis tennessee her face in my mind all blue and swollen a friend of mine calls this the rescue distance, the constant equation operating in a parent's mind where time and distance are factored in to calculate whether it would be possible to save a child from danger. Ugh. I mean, that took my breath away, yeah. that paragraph. I, I, I had to stop reading. Yeah, that's another one of those places where the whole, all the layers of different lost children are getting stacked up on each other as well, right? This is a very specific moment about this specific mother looking at her specific child in a guitar-shaped swimming pool in Memphis, Tennessee. And then you start to, because of the the fabric of this novel, it lets you, without ever demanding that you do it, it, it opens up a space for you to think, and what about like... The parent I mentioned earlier, Manuela, who from a great distance in in New York City has has 
tried to um, f- figure out the rescue distance for her two daughters back home and their grandmother yeah. sews the phone number into their dresses and packs them off on that oh. reckless train that you've alluded to and like what so like detail. it's all there and it's there it's happening it's happening in the detail it's happening in the language in like the poetry of her prose it's happening in the images in the ideas of it this almost as i'm saying this it it, it brings me back to your question about like does you know do you need this these characters to be named what does it do for their what you cast as relatability and i chastised you for no but i like, said care actually <laughs> I, I know i, <laughs> I, I was yelled at i changed um, but it like, but like actually the 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 not naming i think helps to push you in a readerly way to make those connections better because you're not going like oh that's the you know it's you're not tagging it it's it's opening a space that makes them all slightly available as every man and every women in a way that that a named character maybe shuts it off. I don't know. I'm thinking that aloud, so maybe it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. But um, there's there's so many places in this novel that are saying like, it that, that are versions of that passage you've read. Sorry, go ahead. I love that you're saying it, and I may be opening up Pandora's box again, but <laughs> I guess. When I say relatability or when I did say it, yeah, maybe what I was grasping for is empathy. Does it allow us to connect with these characters, empathize with their, these characters, at the very least sympathize with these characters, rescue distance or otherwise? And there, there were so many moments, a lot of them led by detail, a lot of them led by circumstance, where I definitely felt connected to a moment of feeling Mm -hmm. uh, a worry you know from these parents and at least for me regardless of naming uh, you know there there was no there was no touching distance so to speak you know i felt quite close Mm -hmm. to them throughout we haven't even like we've left an entire layer of this novel out which is that um (laughs) the thing I'm, I'm I'm laughing because I'm thinking about like that note on a, about intertextuality that Valeria Luiselli Luiselli um, has at the end that I that I kind of made a claim for and said that she's achieved and succeeded. Um, that intertextuality is a is a thing that can be kind of annoying uh, sometimes when when people are just throwing around things to try and look smart or something, which is not what she's doing here. But the other thing she does, which is another gamble, I guess, is this this is a novel full of gambles. Um, where you're, oh, you know, she's it, risking it a lot. And, she's risking a lot to try yeah. and to try and pull something off. And there's a novel in the novel. <laughs> the, yep. um, there's a there's a book that that the mother is carrying around that eventually the boy is then carrying around and trying to read that tells the story. This kind of anonymized place semi placeless story that maps the migration of children on a train to a border. And it's very, it's never it. It's made explicit that it's kind of pulled from different places in the novel itself and in the novel in the novel, but also it's never said it's n- it's never tied to a specific border in a specific country. So it it demands its own symbolic reading while also being a real story, and the ways in which it without wanting to like spoil the whole novel for people, but like the ways in which it it enters in and out of the main narrative of the novel is 
gripping and interesting and starts out as a kind of intellectual curiosity and becomes an increasingly emotional curiosity i don't mean in a in a frivolous way it like it becomes emotionally gripping as you get deeper and deeper into the novel it's just an- another layer to that fabric or another another part of it and i think it also speaks to you know a number of points she makes about stories the way stories can get inside of us make us feel uh, change how we see the world but also prompt us to action i think if if i'm not misreading this th- that story within the story really prompts the son you know to make a decision to to go out and search and and try to save and and help and it and it's it was kind of heartbreaking you know that that you know that that story about lost children leads him to essentially become a lost child and bring his sister with mm-hmm. him and uh, i don't know i mean i found those really hard to read you know not yeah. from uh the point of view of of prose but from the point of view of content of 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 detail of difficulty uh the the closeness to uh reality such as it is like uh, like films like sin nombre for example um it's it it was upsetting i think it needed to be there but it it was tough it's interesting that you say that and I, i completely agree with you um that it it's upsetting and tough to read because of the closeness to what's really happening uh, at the moment. And at the moment is a long, long period of decades, really. Um, it is actually. <laughs> but it's but it's interesting. It's interesting that that the thing that gets the closest is is closest to the bone in that respect is the thing that's cast as a as a kind of fable. And as a kind of as a fictional fable within the story, and and again, it's it's it, it creates this anonymity and this generalness or universality, maybe out of its specifics, and demands them because of the lack of naming, because of the it's a fiction within a fiction, because of the way in which that fiction is used as a real thing. It's a, for lack of a better term, it's a prop in the novel right the book itself the polaroids get stored in this book they start out being stored in a different book but they end up being stored in this book and the care that you have to take of putting the polaroid pictures that the boy is taking inside this book that's a story about other lost children when the 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 pictures fall out or they get shaken out and there's like again like the symbolic value of that and the insistence on it is i it's i mean it's really wonderful and it's and really moving and really hard all at the same time. It's a real testament to the, again, what I think is just the risk-taking of this novelist and how she has gone for it and not looked back and like really kind of made that leap of faith with her talent and her and her hard work and her intelligence to to weave those things together into a story that will that will achieve the kind of power that she wants it to have. On the back of that comment, I have to say this: is, I, I'm tr- I've been trying to think of a way to express this accurately. It's rare that you read a novel that is so self-conscious about all of this intertextuality and all of this 
self-reflection about what it means to tell a story and what it means to be literature and yet is so unselfconscious about that self-consciousness she doesn't excuse it and she doesn't act like the the telling of stories is is somehow apart from real life or is an indulgence or art is an indulgence there's a there's a passage in the book where she explicitly reflects on all this Mm. and i think it's one of the really great things about the book it's very literary it's very um, self-consciously literary but it's also it, it wears all that as part of its as part of its art as, as a unified part of its art i haven't said that very well i don't think i, I mean i'm i'm mildly confused but but maybe you can just clear it up for me like that's this. what i'm going in, for in what yeah well right on uh, <laughs> mission successful uh so i would just ask you like what techniques does it use in in order to create this this feeling this effect of unselfconscious self-consciousness because i'm just a little fuzzy on what you mean by that yeah so I mean, some of it is some of the stuff we've already talked about. There's just the construction of the, like the formal construction of the novel where you, you know, whatever. I, I right at the beginning of our discussion, I mentioned when you said like, oh, you know, I love a road novel. And I said, well, she, you know, there's this whole thing about Kerouac. There's a, there's quite a long reflection on Kerouac in the, in the novel, um, talking about on the road. Um, there's other things, you know, she, again, she reflects on a Galway Canal poem. She reflects on Susan Sontag. It's very, the character, the main character who narrates, not all, the mother narrates a lot of the novel, but not all of it, um, is an, a very intellectual person who, who wears her intellect naturally. There, at one point, there's a line about her, um, see if I can find it. She's, she's talking about her sister. Yeah, here it is. And she says... I wonder what my sister, who understands books better than life, would say if she were confronted with a question like this one, <laughs> which is a really like that's a very self-conscious yeah. reflection on what you're doing, what you're doing in relation to life when you're reading literature and understanding literature. But it passes; it's it's embodied in the character. So to come back to your question, as like what it's embodied in the character's thoughts. It's related again to specific moments. You talked about that earlier. There's a couple more things I'll light on very briefly because we're we're coming kind of towards the end of of our discussion. But like they're in the car listening to different audiobooks and they keep hearing the opening lines of all these different books. They come rattling out. And partly as a matter of technique, it's this, this, these lines from other books are coming in pretty rapid, but they're all embodied in a, in a, in a scene, in a scene that has been set and, and feels lived in of a family driving and switching things and trying to keep themselves entertained because the highway is boring and so on and so forth. And I, so I think some of that is like, there's, there's a self-consciousness of the author of, putting those lines from other novels and, and the road by Cormac McCarthy in particular, which keeps coming up. And I kept wondering why. And then she pays it off towards the end of the novel in a really wonderful way. Um, but then there's an unselfconsciousness in the way that it's just presented ingrained in the fabric of what these characters are doing. It comes back to your question of character from earlier. It's part of these characters, part of, of how they develop and construct and how they're, how they're learning. I mean, the David Bowie song gets used in, in a similar way. Um, a space oddity comes in and out and gets becomes a real major focal point um at one just point to, in the novel. just to jump in uh because i would love to end on music because you are the most opinionated person about music i know um 
But I just want to say, I have no strong feelings for, about for music. <laughs> no, I, I just want to say thank you for that, because I think at least for me, you, you nailed it when you said it feels lived in, you know, at, at, at the reason why there's particularly, you know, you, you helped me come to this realization as, as you were answering the question, but it feels lived in this unselfconsciousness because it's how the characters are. It's how they live their lives. Art is incredibly important to them, whether it's music or poetry mm -hmm. or uh, documentaries or, you know, obviously uh, fiction. So, man, I was, I, I think it feels real. It feels solid, but I think it also works within the frame of the novel because it helps explain what art does, which is it gives us a pair of glasses to see the world in sharper ways, given our, our, our perspective, given where we are. You know, it allows us to experience things outside of ourselves that we could never possibly experience uh, just in our daily lives walking around, even if we are traveling all across the country. Yeah, the, those layers her, the, her her navigation of of overlapping culture also speaks to life as it is now right like when we travel we we watch movies we listen to audiobooks we listen to music it it, it is a companion but she was very smart about what she chose and why and how she utilized it yeah it's not just a companion in the novel it's it's things that are shaping and reshaping exactly as you said but it's acting it's acting out the idea that you've just explained it's reshaping these characters understandings of their own environment Absolutely. again and again and again and you get you get it in lots of different ways so like the the photographs of geronimo's grave which you can then get to see at the end of the novel or earlier if mm -hmm. you're cheating and flipping ahead um wow and uh sir i could read <laughs> I the novel to react to that however i got I to thank you yeah <laughs> I, th I was a little worried how slow you reacted to that, um, or like, or the <laughs> David Bowie song that, that gets the David Bowie song gets played and replayed and replayed, and the the kids are acting it out, and they're acting it out as a means of of shaping their understanding of of who they are and what they're doing and where they and so on, and it and it she uses it in a and they variety misinterpret of the lyrics and, and they have to think about the lyrics and then oh it's beautiful it's beautiful. So more broadly. How do you feel about the music in this novel, Douglas? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Broadly, how do I feel about the music in this novel? I really love the way this novel used music. I'm relieved to hear you say that. Go on. Yeah, no. I, well, I don't, I don't want to say too much more about it than that. I just thought that it, you know, there's a lot of music on the radio in, the, in this, in the car radio, which is like, uh, how do I want to put this? I... I I, I like that it's it, again it's it's fabric it's fabric in the novel and it and I like as I've just described the way that it it's not just incidental bad writers it's hard to write about music or to use music in in fiction for a lot of different reasons some of which are just like basic like legal reasons that you can't really ever <laughs> use them quite the way you want because you can't well you can't quote no the words and stuff you know 
<laughs> and so you have to find ways around that and then it becomes weird. And so you get lots of novelists or who who will just say, uh, you know, they were listening to song X on the on the radio and like and then it it just kind of asks you to it, it's it's an intertextuality of a type, I suppose, that that is lending some kind of mood to the to what else is happening in the scene it's it's a bit of window dressing is maybe a um a slightly pejorative way of of characterizing it and here again intertextuality is her method of composition and she takes every type of art seriously as part of her intertext and like and so the music is in, ingrained and she seems to think as a writer narratively about these things as ingrained as part of of the meanings and part of the thematic stuff of her novel. And so it, it doesn't ever, like, I, it, it feels really, I loved what she did with music in it. I, I really love it. It's one of the many things I loved about this novel. I, the only thing I would add to that, I think that was beautiful. And I agree. It, it, it's not just window dressing, it's atmosphere, it's tone, but also it's an opportunity for these characters to explore right? Explore the art, talk about the art. I think that for me was one of the most endearing and interesting aspects of the entire book is that even though the mother and father were becoming increasingly distanced from each other, they were always engaging with the kids and having this really great broader discussion about art and the world and what it means and how these things intersect and how it can help us see the world in a new and better and deeper way. Yeah, we didn't really have time to talk about this. And it's, I mean, we can't do this novel justice in just a, a short one hour conversation anyway. But but Agreed. it's a wonderful <laughs> novel of it's a wonderful novel of parenting. It's just like a, a yeah. story of parents being being good parents, being thoughtful, caring, loving parents. And it also she it, you giving know, tough answers. Children. <laughs> yeah. Writing children characters is really hard. And there's two really fascinating, serious children characters here who aren't who are taken very seriously, who aren't played for cutesiness, who aren't played for, yeah. you know, they're not played for, they're not, they're not given a limited frame. They're, 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 the limits of being a child, a child's understanding are foregrounded and then, and then, and then taken seriously and used seriously and wonderfully and, and all kinds of ways that, that develop out of the, the novel. And, and they grow, right? They, they, they grow. And then eventually the son can become a narrator near the end of the book because of his his arc. Sorry, I just had to say that. Go for it. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. They, they, they're not the same children at the end of the novel that they are at the beginning of the novel. Yeah. No and question. that's huge because I can't tell you how many books I've read where the kids are just the kids. They don't grow or change. They're there like, like in the way they are in a sitcom, mm. um, which they're not in this novel. Um, Absolutely not. I wonder... I don't know if I can get away with this. I'm going to I'm going to end I think with I've been trying to shoehorn in it's come up it's come up naturally a couple of times and then we've we've veered away from it. Um a paragraph from quite early on in the novel where which I which is possibly the most self-conscious moment in the entire novel where where you really hear an author um mm. laying down like their author authorial concerns about what they are doing. It's it's put into the to the narration of the mother. Um, but I think it kind of ties together a lot of the different things, what we've been talking about. And, and I think what it means to write with a sense of your own self-consciousness about what you think art is doing when you're writing a, a novel. And this, this is a scene where they're, they're in a, um, 
they're having breakfast in a in a diner and the kids they've drawn out grids for the kids to try to draw stories in eight grids like tell an eight grid an eight square story and yeah um, that was excellent and the mother is mother's sort of observing and watching them do this and she and she says she's looking at the eight squares and says i wonder how i distribute all the concerns i have and then she the next paragraph is quite long i'm going to read it all out she delineates her concerns political concern how can a radio documentary i would i would insert like novel um, because you can kind of read it (laughs) metaphorically but anyway political concern how can a radio documentary be useful in helping more undocumented children find asylum aesthetic problem on the other hand why should a sound piece or any other form of storytelling for that matter be a means to a specific end I should know mm. by now that instrumentalism applied to any art form is a way of guaranteeing really shitty results. Light pedagogic material, moralistic young adult novels, boring art in general, professional hesitance. But then again, isn't art for art's sake so often an absolutely ridiculous display of intellectual arrogance? Ethical concern. Mm. And why would I even think that I can or should make art with someone else's suffering? Pragmatic concern. Shouldn't I simply document like the serious journalist I was when I first started working in radio and sound? production realistic concern maybe it is better to keep the children's stories as far away from the media as possible anyway because the more attention a potentially controversial issue receives in the media the more susceptible it is to becoming politicized and in these times a politicized issue is no longer a matter that urgently calls for committed debate in the public arena but rather a bargaining chip that parties use frivolously in order to move their own agendas forward constant concerns cultural appropriation pissing all over someone else's toilet seat who am i to tell this story micromanaging identity politics heavy hand Am I too angry? Am I mentally colonized by Western sex and white categories? What's the correct use of personal pronouns? Go light on the adjectives and oh, who gives a fuck how very whimsical phrasal verbs are. End Mm. paragraph. All of that's like, it's just a self-conscious listing of all the things that I think any serious writer is constantly concerned with. And what's great about this novel is that it engages with those questions, I think, and other questions without answering them necessarily without trying to say and here's the specific answer but but always engaged with them and always creating pathways to think about them and try to find answers for them which i think is what a really great novel does it doesn't tell you an answer to something it opens up the possibilities for you to kind of think about answers Hmm. anyway this is a terrific novel i totally agree and you've been a terrific guest thanks so much ryan i definitely agree you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) thanks for coming on with the humility to which i've become accustomed over the years of our friendship um it's been it's been really great having you on on the novel romantics podcast and thanks so much for joining me and for such a like exciting engaging conversation about it thanks a lot of course take care Just so you know, once again, the views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the guests or the host, not the American Centrum, which does not take any institutional positions on politics or policy. Thanks again for listening.